divorced, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, survived. Hear about our trip to see the queens today on the Twins on Tour Tour podcast. Podcast. Hi, I'm Julie Buck. I'm Jenny Bradley. And this is the The Twins Twins on Tour Tour Podcast. And today we are geeking out because we get to talk not only about our favorite musical from this season that we wanted to see so badly, but one of our favorite musicals in general, Six the Musical. Yes, we saw Six on Tuesday, August 15th at the Connor Palace Theater at Playhouse Square, and we went with our friend Gina, so that was very fun. Yeah, it was a fun time. Like we've said several times on this podcast before, we not only are huge theater nerds, we are huge Tudor history nerds. Thank you, CW's Rain. Yeah, it really did. It started with Rain, and we watched the Tudors, and then kind of just went down a rabbit hole from there, and in, what was it, like 2018-ish? 2017-ish, you discovered Six on YouTube? Yeah. Yep. I uh, saw a a YouTube video from when they performed at West End Live, and I want to say it was 2018. But yeah, so since then, we really did. We went through a huge Six phase where, I think it was two years in a row, Six was our most played album on Spotify, and we were in like the top 0, 0. 0.5% of fans. I want to say in 2020, we were in the top 0.0001% of fans for Six the Musical. Yeah. We geeked pretty the hard. The original West End album, and not even the original West End cast, but it was the original recording they made as they were transferring to the West End. Yeah. Really exciting stuff there. Obviously, we were really excited to see this musical, and it did not disappoint. Honestly, it exceeded expectations in a way, too, because I had only seen bootlegs of Six mm-hmm. before. That was one where I, I couldn't wait to watch it, so I watched a bootleg, and yeah. it was even better in person. Yeah, I was also a really big fan. But for those of you who don't know the background of Six, Six is a British musical. It started over in the UK first and then came over to America. It's a comedy. The books and lyrics are by Toby Marlowe and Lucy Moss. And it basically sets up the story of the Six Wives of Henry VIII set in the style of a concert. So it's unlike every other musical we've seen this year that is a very, here is the sets, here is the script, there is a scene, a blackout, then we come to a new scene. They're on stage the entire show. And I want to point out, too, this show is only 75 minutes long, runs with no intermission, so it was also the quickest show we saw this season. Yeah, it started a couple minutes late at like 7.40-ish, but we were out by 9 o'clock, which was really weird because the sun was still out and we're like, we have all this time? What? I'm not going to bed at 12.30 like I have for some of the shows we've seen? What? What? Yeah, so that was different, too. If you're not the fan of a three-hour-long musical, six is definitely for you. Mm Mm-hmm. This musical, it's unlike other musicals we've seen, like with Moulin Rouge. It had like a 10-year buildup before a musical was even written, and then four or five years before it hit Broadway. This was a very quick turnaround as far as musicals go. In 2016, Toby Marlowe and Lucy Moss were seniors at Cambridge University in England, and Toby entered the Cambridge University Musical Theatre Society's contest to host a student-run production at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. What the Fringe is, it's basically a giant arts festival. They've got concerts, they've got plays that hope to be produced. It's a huge arts festival in Edinburgh. And he entered this saying like, yes, I have an idea for a musical. And I don't know if it was just, they didn't have to submit what the musical was before, but he won and then was like, crap, now I have to write a musical. So he was sitting in class one day and was like, I want to write a musical that centers on something with famous females. So the original idea that he went for was the Real Housewives of Shakespeare, which kind of sounds 
either like it could be really great or really bad and thankfully they scrapped that idea and he decided that how about we do the six wives of Henry VIII. He partnered with another student named Lucy Moss who was very gifted in music. She was a dancer growing up and they decided okay we'll do the six wives of Henry VIII except they didn't really know that much about them going into it besides what they had learned in school. So they did a lot of research using books and documentaries specifically Antonia Frazier's The Six Wives of Henry VIII and Six Wives by Lucy Worldsley. Those were their two main sources of information. And they also watched and drew inspiration from the 2007 Beyonce concert and storytelling performance Live at Roseland Elements of Four. And they took that idea of her performing stories and made that their show. Again, this was a huge production. They wrote the foundation of the musical in approximately 10 days time total. They worked on it for more than that bits and pieces here but the time added up it only took them 10 days to write this musical which is nuts when you think about like how many years it took Andrew Lloyd Webber to write Phantom of the Opera mm -hmm. or Sondheim were work years on his musicals they're like uh, 10 days between finals like works for us I mean even Hamilton it, it took Lin-Noel like what eight years to mm -hmm. write Hamilton this was really nuts a labor of love that quickly was flowing from them apparently <laughs> In developing the characters, they were inspired by real-life pop stars because they're like, if we're going to make this a pop concert, they're definitely going to be influenced by pop divas of today. And that's what they kind of, they made each queen have a very specific personality and their songs are modeled after different pop stars. So Catherine of Aragon is actually modeled after, it's a mix of Beyonce, J-Lo, and Jennifer Hudson. I definitely get Beyonce more than mm -hmm. anyone when you listen to Catherine of Aragon's song, yeah. for sure. And I think even just the overall look, like all the gold and the wealth that exudes from her, I think that screams Beyonce. Anne Boleyn is elements of Miley Cyrus, Avril Lavigne, and Lily Allen. Really, I don't, I don't know. I, I get a lot, of, I get, I get a mix of them, but I don't get any of them from mm -hmm. Boleyn. Yeah. Which I find kind of funny. Jane Seymour is Adele, Sia, and Celine Dion, which is spot on in my opinion. Anna of Cleves is elements of Nicki Minaj and Rihanna. Again, I think that's pretty spot on. Katherine Howard is a mix of Britney Spears and Ariana Grande, which I, I think that one, especially because Katherine Howard, her costume includes a really high ponytail. Mm -hmm. Absolutely Ariana Grande. And Katherine Parr is inspired by Alicia Keys, which I get that as well. I get that as well. Yeah, you definitely, for the most part, can see all of the elements that were included of these different styles. Catherine of Aragon is a huge number with a big dance break. Anne Boleyn's, I guess, would be the most quote-unquote punk number, but I don't get much punk from it besides the attitude of don't lose your head. I can get, like, bangers-era Miley Cyrus out of Boleyn. I don't get, like, flowers-era out of Boleyn. Yeah, absolutely. And which would have lined up with this timeline. I also don't really get much Avril Lavigne, but I can understand why they said Avril Lavigne. The world premiere production of Six took place at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in England as a presentation by Cambridge University Musical Theatre Society. It ran from July 31st, 2017 until October of that year. The cast was pretty much Toby and Lucy's friends, including Toby's sister Annabelle, who played the original Catherine Howard, which is kind of cool. Unfortunately, this cast was not carried over when it went professional. And I know Toby and Lucy have said in interviews that that was like the hardest thing they had to do was basically tell their friends like, hey, the show is going professional, but you're not. <laughs> I want to say there was an interview in the run-up to the Broadway premiere where Toby said that that was his and Lucy's biggest regret, was that they couldn't keep everybody on. You know, he basically had to fire his own sister. Yeah. So. 
that would be awkward. But, I mean, the cast that they got after it was phenomenal. Yes. We'll talk about them in a second. The production's run was sold out. It was a smash hit. It didn't win any awards at the Fringe that year in 2018, but it was invited to come back, which is a really good sign for a production that if they get asked to come back to the Fringe, that you were a hit. And mm -hmm. you wanted either... A, have someone approach you to produce, or B, get asked back. And spoiler alert, both of those things happened for six after this original run in Edinburgh. And there was a lot of buzz following them. So after the success of The Fringe, they were able to go back to Cambridge and perform in the area. And it attracted the attention of the producer named Kenny Wax. I'm not huge on producers of the West End, but that name must be important if they mentioned him specifically while yeah. I researched this. And he offered to produce the show professionally. Six had its first original run in the West End at the Arts Theatre in London. It ran for six Monday night performances. It's very similar to Broadway where it's eight shows a week, but they only perform for six days. So they were in the arts on the night of whatever production that was currently there wasn't playing. Mm -hmm. So for six weeks, they played six. It was from December 18th, 2017, and then for the next six weeks. The cast included Renee Lamb as Catherine of Aragon, Christina Modestu as Anne Boleyn, Natalie Paris as Jane Seymour, Genesis Linnea as Anna of Cleves, Amy Atkinson as Catherine Howard, and Izuka Hoyle as Catherine Parr. If you've heard the original six soundtrack, this is the cast you've heard. Mm -hmm. Most of these girls did not continue with the show after that original six weeks, but they put them on the recording. And fun fact, six, the original West End cast album, is the second highest listened musical theater album on Spotify only behind Hamilton. Oh, wow, really? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, I saw that little fun fact, and I was like, wow. Wow. Yeah, like, more than Les Mis, more than Wicked, nice. six, because it pretty much became a smash hit once it got released out into the media. It blew up on TikTok, too, especially during the pandemic, mm -hmm. especially the, the songs Don't Lose Your Head that Boleyn sings and All You Want to Do that Howard sings. Both of those songs, snippets of them, went really viral on TikTok mm -hmm. as well, so that contributed to the streaming success as well. Yeah. So, following its original West End run, Six embarked on a brief tour across the UK between July and December of 2018. Natalie Paris and Amy Atkinson stayed on with their roles of Seymour and Howard. Jarnea Richard Noel came on as Catherine of Aragon. Millie O'Connell came on as Anne Boleyn. Alexia McIntosh as Cleves. And Maya Kwanzaa Breed as Parr. And they also had, in that run of the UK, they went back to the Fringe and performed the show professionally. So they had all the costumes and all the lights and stuff. We'll talk about all that mm -hmm. stuff here because same costumes and everything that came over to Broadway when it made it. So Six finally made its West End premiere, like professionally, every night of the week. It wasn't just on Mondays. It made its premiere at the Arts Theater again on January 17th of 2019. All of the cast members from that tour and the 2018 Fringe came back to reprise their roles in the original West End production. It was directed by Lucy Moss and Jamie Armitage, who was another friend of theirs from school who helped to direct every iteration of Six so far, including the original Fringe production. On December 5th, 2020, Six resumed performances after the shutdown, but this time playing at the Lyric Theatre in London. However, due to a COVID resurgence, it shut down again like two weeks later until May 21st of 2021. It finished its residency at the Lyric on the 29th of August that year and then transferred West End Theatres again and opened at the Vaudeville Theatre on September 29th of 2021, where it continues to play today. It also had a successful UK tour, which has been running from 2019, and that cast also earlier this year got to go to South Korea and open South Korea. 6 before the South Korean queens took over. After all of that happened, again, that was less than two years from when it was written to when it was 
a smash hit on the West End. Like, that is super quick. And it got the attention of Broadway producers, obviously, because if they saw how quickly that show became a success over there, because when you look at Six, it's not a super expensive show to run. No, it's not. The cast is small. The band is small. The set gets more and more extravagant the longer the show runs, which is really nice. We'll talk about the set mm-hmm. here in a minute. But it's only one set for the whole show. So it's super cheap to run in the long run. Broadway immediately was like, yes. In December of 2018, it was announced that Six would make its North American premiere at the Chicago Shakespeare Theater in May of 2019 as a pre-Broadway run. The first American cast included Adriana Hicks as Catherine of Aragon, Andrea Mesquette as Anne Boleyn, Abby Mueller as Jane Seymour, Brittany Mack as Anna of Cleves, Samantha Pauly as Catherine Howard, and Anna Uzel as Catherine Parr. The Chicago performances began on May 14th, 2019 at the Chicago Shakes Theater, where it played for an extended run. It got extended, I think, twice due to the demand, mm-hmm. and it broke box office records for the theater. It then embarked on a pre-Broadway mini-tour with stops in Cambridge, Massachusetts, Edmonton in Canada, and St. Paul, Minnesota from August to November of 2019. Finally, it came to Broadway. Six began its Broadway previews on February 13th, 2020 at the Brooks Atkinson Theater, later renamed the Lena Horne Theater on Broadway. And the day of its scheduled Broadway opening, March 12th of 2020, all Broadway theaters were ordered to close due to COVID. So it did not get to open before the shutdown, which is why, like we said in the Moulin Rouge episode, that's why Six wasn't up for any Tonys that year. It didn't get to open. It was still in previews, which means it cannot be nominated for mm-hmm. Tonys. Fun fact about this time in Broadway, we actually had tickets to see Six during its preview run. We were That was our Christmas present to each other. We were super excited. Trip all booked. And then we started seeing all these fun little news stories about this virus called COVID-19. The week that we were going to go, there was an usher who worked at the former Brooks Atkinson Theater. And I think it was two other houses on Broadway tested positive for COVID-19. And they were the first person really in the Broadway community to test positive for it. They didn't shut anything down because everyone else was, there really wasn't COVID tests readily available, but no one else was sick. But that's when Julie and I were like, you know what? We probably shouldn't go. Yeah, we were like, maybe a city with six million people in it isn't the place we should go when literally a pandemic was mine and Jenny's worst fear. So we're like, eh, maybe we won't do that. <laughs> we were able to sell our tickets, though. Yeah, so whoever bought our tickets for that Saturday up in the very back row of six right before they closed, you're welcome. <laughs> you got to see it before anybody else did for an entire year. Yeah, good for you. Hopefully you enjoyed our tickets. And hopefully you didn't catch COVID. <laughs> yeah, that more that than anything, but you know. We digress. Yeah. <laughs> it finally got to reopen for previews. Again, they couldn't just be like, we're back, let's open. They had to go through previews again. They started previews again September 17th of 2021 and opened finally officially on October 3rd of 2021. It was the first new musical to open on Broadway since the beginning of the pandemic. Lucy Moss and Jamie Armitage came back to direct the production. Choreography by Carrie Ann Gruyere. Set designed by Emma Bailey, costumes by Gabriella Slade, who, side note, if anyone saw pictures from the Spice Girls reunion tour a couple years ago, like the super sparkly ones and all that, Gabriella Slade did those. That's where Lucy and Toby saw those costumes and what we want her to do on mm-hmm. costumes when they finally got professional ones done. Sound by Paul Gatehouse, who did Mary Poppins on the West End. Lighting by Tim Delling and orchestrations by Tom Curran. A cast album of the original Broadway production was also available on Spotify. It's the live recording of the opening night numbers, which is pretty cool because you can tell the crowd was like super hyped. Mm-hmm. And it includes like snippets of the show that aren't on the original West End album. 
So if you're looking for something that's a little longer, because I know, like, the West End one's only about 38 minutes. Mm -hmm. If you're looking for something a little bit longer, I would go with this one, because it is a little longer. You get more out of it. They also, on this iteration, on the Broadway opening night album, the last song on the album is a version of Jane Seymour's song, Heart of Stone, sung by the four alternates who were in the show, Mm -hmm. which I thought was really cool as well. They included them on it. Yeah, and it's a really pretty arrangement, too. So, after all of this success... Six began touring in 2022 with what was called the Aragon Tour. This run just ended in July. They did, like, stands at places for long times, like seven, eight-week-plus runs at places like Chicago and L.A. Natalie Paris actually came back to close out this tour as Jane Seymour again, which I was really jealous it was on the West Coast because I would have killed to see Natalie Paris Mm -hmm. play Jane Seymour. Then they have what's called the Berlin Tour, which started late last year, which is the one that we saw. It does the smaller runs and it goes to more cities across the U.S. And it's the one that's going to keep running because it plays at more cities. But since 2019, Six is pretty much everywhere that musical theater is. It's on two Norwegian cruise line ships. It had an Australian tour and they have recently announced tours of Canada, Hungary, and Poland for Six. So I know the Hungary and Poland ones are going to be non-replica tours. Way back in our first season when we talked about Wicked, we talked about how there was a German non-replica production. This is the best kind of parallel I can find. A non-replica production means that, for example, the West End and Broadway productions of Six are replica productions. If you walked into either of those theaters, the only difference is going to be the accents. The British version has British accents. The American version, they don't speak with British accents. Mm -hmm. But other than that, they are the same production. What a non-replica production is, is they get the rights to the show, but they get free creative reign, if you will. So the costumes can be different. The staging can be different. As long as they keep the essence of the show the same, they can use the rights, but they get to do basically whatever they want with it. Yeah. I'll be excited to see the non-replicas pictures from Hungary and Poland. That'll be pretty Mm -hmm. cool. I wonder if they're going to go like actual more Tudor or like, I don't know. It'll be, it'll be fun. Let's get to the performance we saw of Six. So again, this is a understudy swing alt stand account. We had two alternate queens on the night we went. In the role of Anne Boleyn was Taylor Pearlstein, and in the role of Jane Seymour was Cecilia Snow. And I guess I didn't realize, even from looking at pictures, that Cecilia was not the regular Jane Seymour. Holy moly, was she good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can see why they let her play, like, all six queens at times, because, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, she blew me away. We'll get back to her in a bit. Catherine of Aragon was played by Jerrianne Perez. Anna of Cleves was played by Terika Marie. Catherine Howard was played by Aline Maigoidia. And Catherine Parr was played by Sydney Parra. Really excited about all of the queens we got to see. How the show works is the six wives of Henry VIII come out and perform one group number and then basically tell the audience that they are going to hold a contest. The contest... And the winner will be decided by whoever had the worst time with Henry VIII gets to be the lead singer of the band. Yeah, because they're basically like, we've formed a girl group and you're going to help us pick who the lead singer is because one of us has to be the best. So they each decide they're going to go through their experiences with Henry or their life before, after, whatever with Henry. And whoever had the worst time of it gets to be the lead singer of the band. So they go through the queens in chronological order, starting with... Catherine of Aragon, who again was played by Jerrianne Perez. I know she has a big TikTok following. Yeah, her and the the principal Boleyn, Zan Barubi, both of them are, have very big TikTok followings. Yeah. I had heard of both of them before the show. Yeah. I will say at times I thought Jerrianne overacted a bit. She got really into the I'm better than everyone thing. And I don't know, it was just, sometimes it felt like it was overacting to me. Yeah. 
Yeah, vocally, I think perfect, spot on. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I can get that during the dialogue. Sometimes it was like, okay. Yeah, it was too much at times. Mm-hmm. Again, her voice was great. She really, Catherine of Aragon's song, again, it's inspired by Beyonce. You not only have to have a powerful voice to sing the mm-hmm. song, it's called No Way. But basically it's talking about how Catherine of Aragon, historically and in life, put up with a lot of shit from Henry VIII. Yeah. And how she's like, I turned my head at everything, but now you're literally saying I have to go live in a nunnery because you want to marry someone else because I didn't have a son for you. And she's like, no way, I'm not doing that. So you not only have to have a powerful voice, it's a big dance number in the show. Yeah. I thought Jerry Ann was the best dancer in the show. Mm -hmm. Miles away, yeah. She was a really good dancer. And especially being the lead on that number you have to have really strong dancing and have a really strong voice to be singing that powerful of a song while you're doing it. It's a huge upbeat number. No way is one of my favorites in the show, I mm-hmm. think. Catherine of Aragon's costume, again, we'll mention the costumes as we mentioned the queens. Like Jenny said, it's very golden, which I like a lot. It's got like a, what would go down and do a hoop skirt eventually. It's a very structured outfit. It is. One of the more structured ones in the show. I think besides maybe Anne Boleyn's skirt, it's the thing with the most structure in the show. She wears like a bunch of gold necklaces. Mm -hmm. Obviously it's one piece, but from far away, it looks like she has just layers and layers and layers of gold necklaces on too to show she was a wealthy princess from Spain when she came over. She really was in all intents and purposes more qualified and better than the Tudors when she married into their Mm -hmm. family. So yeah, the splendor of her outfit really shows that too. Yeah, she, in real life, Catherine of Aragon, was the daughter of Ferdinand and Isabella, the monarchs who funded Christopher Columbus's exploring of the world. They were super rich, they were super powerful, and they let their money show. Catherine of Aragon, just looking at them, is the most decked out in the show. Mm -hmm. She definitely looks the most regal. Her crown has big points on them. They all have quote unquote crowns and they're basically just like different spikes. Hers is like huge spikes coming off her head. They're golden, they're beautiful. Overall, her costume, like it shimmers whenever she Mm -hmm. moves, which is really nice. So we go into No Way, we learn all about Catherine of Aragon and she basically is like, okay, guess I'm the winner. And then they do this little like snippet called the one you've been waiting for because all of them are like, wait a minute, you're kind of just remembered because there were three of you in a relationship at one point. But the one you've been waiting for is really the one who made Henry Brink from the Church of England and became the queen. And oh yeah, got beheaded at the end of it. Her story is a little bit more exciting there. And that's when we're introduced to Anne Boleyn. And when we went to Broadway Buzz, he said something I definitely agreed with. When you look at every other portrayal of Anne Boleyn in popular media, she's always depicted as, they say it, the temptress. The seductress. Yeah, she's cunning. She planned all of this. Anne Boleyn in Six is the exact opposite. She's like, I literally just came here to have a good time and you guys are all really mad at me for it. Yep. Her song is a punny song, basically. It's called Don't Lose Your Head, which makes it funny because she does lose her head. Spoiler alert if you weren't around for 16th century history class. It happens, yeah. Anne Boleyn gets her head chopped off. The divorced, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, survived thing, you know. Anne Boleyn's song, Don't Lose Your Head, is one of my favorites in the show. It's different from all the other ones because it's not as much of a sing-song as it is of an acting exercise, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. A lot of it's more like talking than it is singing. The chorus where she's like, sorry, not sorry. In the verses, Anne Boleyn is basically talking about all the stuff she did. Like, oh yeah, like I wrote Henry VIII a letter saying XO, XO, you know, when he definitely had a wife. But like, what was I supposed to do? He's the king. And then she basically is just, sorry, not sorry. That's her song. (laughs) See, 
in my opinion, I keep going back to this. Oh, they're inspirations. I get Ariana Grande from the song Don't Lose Your Head. I feel like that's just because of the whole she's hooking up with Spongebob thing right now. I mean, yeah, but at the same time, I still think Don't Lose Your Head sounds like an Ariana Grande song. I think she also influenced Boleyn. See, I definitely get Lily Allen vibes. Like, I smile. do too. Oh, I definitely, I definitely get Lily Allen vibes. Yeah. But... No, I definitely get Lily Allen more than Ariana Grande, but I can definitely yes. see where you're getting Ariana Grande, though. Yeah, and then in our production, like we said earlier, we had Taylor Pearlstein, who was an alternate, play the role. One thing I really liked about Taylor is she enunciated the hell out of everything. Yes. I could understand every single thing she sang or spoke perfectly. Yes. Taylor Pearlstein, you get the Annunciation Award of the Year. <laughs> we'll bring that up uh, next episode when we do our rankings of the season. Number one Annunciator. <laughs> we don't have an Annunciator Award, so I'm giving it to you now, Tay. Have fun. <laughs> Good for you. Woo. Yeah, she really did. Like, she was one, especially with Don't Lose Your Head, because it's a very quick-paced song, and it's fast. It would be really easy to be like, sorry, not sorry about what I said. Blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. she didn't. She was like, sorry, not sorry about what I said. Like, you yeah. understood everything. I like that, too. Anne Boleyn, hands down, has my favorite costume in the show. Same. It is emerald green, and it's got this skirt. I can't really just, it's like, it's like a skate, like those skater skirts that Taylor's have worn in the 1989 era, but Bigger. bigger. Yeah. Like, and, like if she wore a petticoat under it. Yeah, it's super cute. And she's got little space buns in her hair that have two spiky little crowns around it. Yeah. Her costume head to toe is my favorite. Same here. Good for you, Tay. You can enunciate and you get to rock that cute green costume. <laughs> After the number, don't lose your head. Everything kind of like slows down because to this point, everything's been like, I win. No, I win. No, I'm the best. No, I'm the best. And Anne Boleyn does do one really funny thing at this point in the show where she goes, Obs, I'm the winner. I guess I'm going to have my encore. And all the queens are like, wait, what? And she's like, this is a song I wrote when I found out that Catherine of Aragon tragically died. It's called Wearing Yellow to a Funeral. I love that part because no one really knows in history why Anne Boleyn wore yellow the day she found out Catherine of Aragon died. There's several reasons. One, it could have just been a big F.U. I'm queen now because Catherine of Aragon historically did not want to give up Henry VIII. She called herself queen till the day she died. In her final letter to Henry VIII, she wrote, I only had eyes for you, signed Catherine, the true queen of England. When Catherine of Aragon died, no one could deny that Henry VIII was already married to Anne Boleyn, so yes, she was the queen at that point. Some people say it was Anne Boleyn's F.U. to the memory of Catherine of Aragon. Other people say Spain did not wear black for mourning outfits. They wore yellow. So they're saying, no, Anne Boleyn actually was like honoring Catherine of Aragon because she wore she yellow. She was being hella respectful by wearing Spain's mourning color. But no one really knows why she did it because she never came out and said, no, this is Spain's mourning colors or no, F you, Catherine of Aragon. So the fact that they put that little historical tidbit in the show was hilarious. Mm -hmm. Like I was cracking up. A lot of people like didn't laugh at that. And I was like, what the heck guys? Right. But that's when the show absolutely slows down and we get to Jane Seymour's song. It's called Heart of Stone. In the build up to the show, Jane Seymour refers to herself as the only one Henry truly loved because Jane Seymour was the only wife to give Henry VIII a son. So everyone said, no matter what happened in that marriage, he always would have listed Jane Seymour as his favorite because she gave him a male heir. And the male heir lived and survived. Mm -hmm. And again, we had Cecilia Snow play Jane Seymour in this production. She was so good. She was really good at pulling you in mm -hmm. because Heart of Stone starts out very quiet and very slow. And by the end of it, it is just a belt your face off fest. 
And she handled that so well. Yeah, I can get why the direct inspiration for Jane Seymour is Adele because mm-hmm. it real it sounds like an Adele song mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, and I actually would love to hear Adele do a cover of that. I would too. I know that there's there's always these rumors that they're gonna make like a movie production of Six, mm-hmm. which if they do, they want to put like real celebrities in it. If anyone besides Adele plays Jean- Jane Seymour, I'm gonna be a little bit disappointed. Yeah, I know they did record the. West End cast that went to the West End mm-hmm. and played it all the time, you know, with, like, Millie O'Connell and Amy Atkinson. Natalie Paris did reprise her role as Jane Seymour for that concert film, which is great, because if you haven't heard Natalie Paris's Heart of Stone, go listen to it. It's phenomenal. It's the best one. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Cecilia Snow, probably top two or three for me, Oh, though. for sure. She was awesome. Like I said, she pulled you in, and you were listening, like, okay, what's happening now? Because... The song sounds very sad when you're really, like, she's talking about, this is the love of my life, and I had my child and everything. Jane Seymour's story is super tragic. She kind of was overshadowed by the whole Henry-hated Anne Boleyn thing, got her head chopped off, married Jane Seymour, and then, like, a year later, she's dead Mm -hmm. because she died almost directly after childbirth, like, two weeks later or something. And so she never got to raise her child, and hearing someone sing about, we had this family, I was so excited, and now my son has to grow up without me. And I was like, Oh, yeah. Like, it really is. It's a gun punch of a number. Because if you're just listening to Cecilia singing, beautiful voice, amazing belt, like, all that stuff. But when you're actually listening to what she's saying, you're like, oh, my God. She's talking about, like, a mother who didn't get to raise her child because mm-hmm. she died. Like, yep. Oh. Heart of Stone, definitely. Like, that probably got the biggest applause from the audience mm-hmm. until Get Down, which we'll talk about yeah. Get Down and why it gets applause in a minute. But, oh, like, yeah. Yeah, I think performance-wise from this performance, one of my favorites. Because Cecilia was a phenomenal Jane Seymour. I agree 100%. And another thing I really liked is Cecilia really pulled off the Jane Seymour costume well. Yes. The Jane Seymour costume, Adele would look great in it. It's for a girl who's got some curve on her, definitely. Mm -hmm. It's got like a corset top and it's long sleeve and it's black and white. She's definitely the most subdued queen in the show, except her skirt is all sparkle. In promo pictures, you can't really see it. Mm-mm. When you see it under the stage light, you're like, oh my god, it's beautiful. Yeah, and that's one thing I found really interesting, especially with how they did the lighting for Heart of Stone. It is just Jane Seymour standing under a spotlight. The other queens sit down during mm-hmm. Heart of Stone. They get to take a break, and it is just a spotlight on Jane Seymour, and she stands center stage and just belts, mm-hmm. and it's amazing. Once that spotlight, Jane's spotlight hit her costume, it was literally like, sparkle, 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 and like, Every move she made, it was so beautiful. The best thing that I can compare it to is, like, an Elton John stage costume. Yes. That's how much it sparkled. Because it doesn't show the sparkle that much the whole show, but it was, like, Heart of Stone all of a sudden spot, like, swing, sparkle, sparkle, and it was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. So after that, you get in a really, really slow, you know, Heart of Stone Mother doesn't get to raise her child because she died. And then they're like, let's have a techno rave number. It's time for German house music. <laughs> Yeah, basically. For anyone, again, we're going to do a whole episode on just Tudor history because, again, we're nerds and we want to talk into a microphone for an hour at you. If we would go through everything historically as much in-depth as we want to during this episode, this episode will be three hours long. So we're just going to condense it. We're going to give you the show stuff now. We're going to do the nerdy stuff later. Yeah, and you can choose to skip the nerdy stuff episode even though it'll make us cry, but... It's up to you. There was a painter named Hans Holbein who painted pretty much all of the famous portraits of Tudors back in the day. And so they were like, we need something to bridge. We can't just be like, okay, Jane, you're dead. Let's do the next queen. (laughs) They're like, we have to kind of explain how a German princess came next. So they basically set it up as they go into Hans Holbein's studio and they're basically having an invisible Henry VIII like swipe like on Tinder. Yep. 
but the whole song is German house music, and, like, it's such a jarring experience to go from, like, on the verge of tears in Heart of Stone to be like, welcome to the house of Holbein, yeah! <laughs> and it's just huge, and there's glow lights and strobe lights going off, and it, I mean, it really is, it's like a rave on stage for two and a half minutes. It's very fun. It's yeah. a very fun song. And then we get into maybe, like, the dream song for me to ever perform if I got to the ability to, you know, perform and wouldn't hurt people's ears. Get down. Tarika Marie, again, played Anna of Cleves. So funny. Anna of Cleves is definitely the comic relief of the show. Anne Boleyn has moments here and there, but mm -hmm. once Anna of Cleves comes on for her number, it's Anna of Cleves' show for the rest of the time. So as a quick rundown of Anna of Cleves' story, German princess comes over to meet Henry VIII. He insists she looks nothing like her picture, and he's like, this broad is ugly. I don't want to be with her. Even though by this point, he was an old, fat, dying king. So after about six months of marriage, Henry VIII goes to Anna of Cleves and goes, listen, I want a divorce. And Anna of Cleves knows what happened to the wife that kind of defied him. She got her head chopped off. Yeah. She's like, I want none of that. Whatever you want, buckaroo, we're going to go for it. And he was like, wow, you've been really cooperative in this whole thing. How about this? You agree and say, no, we were never actually married. I'm going to give you two palaces and a pension. And I'm going to tell everyone that you're basically my sister and you're going to rank ahead of pretty much any woman in the kingdom except my next wife. And my daughters. Yeah. And she was like, bet. Okay. <laughs> Which, I mean, honestly, who wouldn't take that bet? So Terika comes on with the lights and they're playing this really sad, like, I don't know, Saturday morning special music where it's like real sad. And she basically explains that whole story and people start laughing because she's like fake sounding being like, I have more money than I could ever spend and not a single man to tell me what to do with it. Iconic. Yeah. And then she goes, oh, tragic. And this song starts and literally it does sound like it could be a Nicki Minaj or Rihanna song. Mm -hmm. And it's basically Tarika walking you through her day as Anna of Cleves being like, oh, I can do literally whatever I want and no one can stop me because I'm the queen of this castle. This is my castle. Mm -hmm that I have, I have my own money to pay for stuff at it, and I literally can do whatever I want and no one can stop me because I'm the queen of this castle. And she even has like some audience interaction in the show. This definitely is the number where there's the most interaction with the audience. She picks one person in the audience and calls them her best friend. She's like, best friend, guess what? And she'll sing some more and then she'll come back to him and she invites that person to get up and dance in the audience which is really cool, which the person our night did get up and dance. I was very proud of them because that's got to be really disappointing for the, whoever's playing Anna of Cleves to be like, come on and get up and dance. And the person just shakes their head at you. Right? <laughs> no. We had a dancer, which was great. It was amazing. Anna of Cleves costume, she's the red queen because she's luxurious and all that Rebellious. stuff. Rebellious. Rebellious. Yeah. She gets to do her own thing. Amanda doesn't get to tell her what to do, so she's kind of like this unicorn almost. So yeah, she gets yeah. to wear red because it's a regal color. Yeah, she's got red, and she's got the only one in the show. She has knee-high boots. Mm -hmm. She's also the one who gets to wear shorts in the show. Mm -hmm. But they do have a big costume reveal in the show where she's got this super sparkly, studded, Pearls. red, pearl bodysuit. And she got huge applause when they did that because it's basically her original outfit's tearaway, and she's got the bodysuit on under it the whole time, which has to be hot because Anna Cleves has fur, fake fur on her mm -hmm. outfit. So, like, she's got to be hot yeah. under those lights that whole time. And she's got the knee-high boots, which has to be hot. Like, poor girl must be sweating, but, like, she doesn't show it. Mm -mm. Well, plus she gets to wear the bodysuit for, like, a song and a half at least. Yeah, so. To, like, cool off yeah. a bit. Yeah, but her costume reveal is great. Everyone in the crowd got in to get down so much because you're cheering for this girl because she's like, look at all this stuff I got. And she's so 
funny. Terika's comic timing was phenomenally off the charts. Oh, One yeah. of my favorite performances in Same. this show. Same. So her number, basically, like I said, once Get Down happens, Anna of Cleves is the main character in this show oh, in yeah. the eyes of the audience because every time she spoke, there were cheers, there was laughter for the rest of the show. Oh, yeah. yeah like, that's gotta be nice to play that kind of role where, like, for the first half, she's just, like, laying in wait, but, like, just wait for this, just wait for... <laughs> for the rest of the show, you're like, that's my girl. That's my girl up there. Get it, bestie. Yeah, because right after that number... All the other queens are like, wait one goddamn minute. You didn't have a bad time at all. And she goes, oh, I guess you're right. I guess I'm not going to win this. Oh, well, back to the belt. (laughs) She's so unbothered. Like, I aspire to be as unbothered as stage Anna of Cleves is. And after we get Anna of Cleves' big number get down, we move into the longest number of the show, which is kind of funny because it's the queen with the shortest life. Yeah, and kind of the one, and this is not to sound disrespectful, if you're just kind of casually reading about the Tudors, it's kind of the one that people forget. Catherine Howard. Yeah. Catherine Howard was a, we're not really sure how old she was. She was between 15 and 17 when she married Henry VIII. Yeah. We think. Some people say she could have been as old as 20, but again, she came from a youngest brother of a noble family who went and lived with relations most of her life because her parents her mom was dead. Her dad couldn't financially support her. So her birth year was never actually written down. So we don't know how old she was when she married 50 plus year old Henry VIII. So even still very problematic because that that's a pretty big age gap, especially because again, by this time he was actively dying. He was rotting away and he was a big fat old man and she was literally probably a teenager. And at this point too, it kind of gets to the point when you get to the fifth wife of Henry VIII, the reputation is like, oh, Catherine Howard was a hussy or a whore and all this stuff. Because did she cheat on him? Did she not cheat on him? No one knows. No one really knows. What we do know about Catherine Howard now and why I'm glad that really there are more women studying Tudor history now, Catherine Howard was a victim first and foremost. She was molested by her music teacher. She was molested by her step-grandmother's secretary. And then she had this old guy come and basically force her to marry him. Yeah. You can't say no to the king. Yeah. This girl is a victim first and foremost. And I'm glad that this show kind of gave a voice to that. Yeah, because her song is called All You Want to Do. And I will say, this is the poppiest number in the mm-hmm. show. The chorus could be a pop song that would play on mm-hmm. the radio. And I could absolutely see Britney or Ariana singing this song. Mm-hmm. And they've got the big ponytail with pink hair on the end. The ponytail is Ariana Grande, but they dipped the ends of it pink to match her outfit. She's got a super cute outfit. Like, I'm a pink person. I'm very happy with what the pink queen looks like. Yep. It's definitely the sexiest outfit in the show, which helps to play into that narrative of, oh, she was the sexy one. She was the one who cheated on the king and got caught. Which, again, we don't know if that actually happened. Historians definitely argue on, did anything actually happen with her and Thomas Culpepper? Or was it an Anne Boleyn situation where they made things up to get rid of her? No one actually knows because that is something pretty much every historian agrees. None of the charges against Anne Boleyn were real. Henry Mm -hmm. VIII just wanted rid of her and wanted to make a point that he could behead a wife if he wanted to. Mm -hmm. But no one really knows that with Catherine Howard. And so her song is bubblegum pop, which again, I think that's why she's the pink queen because it's definitely a bubblegum pop song. It's a bubblegum pop song, but as it's a seven-minute song, mm-hmm. so there's four choruses in it even. She goes through each one of the men in her life that she's basically been with. By the end of the song, it gets kind of, there's like a sinister tone to it. It's still like poppy and happy and peppy, but like you can see on her face, she's just like, shit. And in the choreography, this 
number definitely has the most interesting choreography to me. She plays into the fact that like, oh yes, the sexy music teacher. I'm hot. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah, she literally starts the song with saying, I'm the 10 amongst the threes. Saying, like, I'm hotter than all the other queens. Basically, like, I got all these men because I'm sexy and I'm fun and I'm hot. And as the song goes on, she's like, oh, wait, no. I was preyed upon by these men. I was just too young and naive to know the difference. Because that is a thing when you're that young. Any attention from the sex that you want is positive attention. Mm -hmm. But as she's going through her life and seeing that this is all guys want from me, that she's like, I'm being used. And the choreography is very interesting because at the beginning, it'll be one queen. They're representing a man and they're putting hands on her and she's like, oh, I'll shake it off right now. But by the end of it, every queen has hands on her. And they're like, obviously not actually, but like the, the way they make it look is like they're clawing into her skin too. Yeah. And so it's supposed to represent that this is how many times this has happened to me. This is the abuse. And you see it dawn on her face before the last chorus. And the whole last chorus, she's sobbing. But she's still singing it like a bubblegum pop song. The ending of All You Want to Do borders on disturbing at times. Mm -hmm. Because it's still this like huge pink pop production number. The lights, the choreography, the bands playing real loud. The queens are all dancing. But she's sobbing saying like, this is all men want from me. This is all I was good for. And now I'm going to die. Yeah, it's very jarring. The lights go out on the stage while you're sitting there like, should I be applauding Yeah, this? like, should I clap for this? Because, again, she sings, Aline sings a seven-minute number by and she, herself. she did it great. She's a great dancer, great singer, and she was a great actress, mm-hmm. too, because she really pulled us in. And by the end, I felt so bad for her. Yeah, You think, like, you listen and you're like, oh, my God, what this girl went through. And then I just feel like, okay, cool, I win. Yeah. And we finally get to the final queen, the survivor, Catherine Parr. She was played by Sydney Parra. I think, hands down, my favorite queen in the show. Catherine mm-hmm. Parr, I know Jenny has a very big affinity for Catherine Parr. Maya, you loved Maya's performances as Catherine Parr. If Maya Kwanzaa Breed has zero fans, that means I'm no longer on this earth. Just putting it out there. <laughs> yeah, her version of I Don't Need Your Love is phenomenal. I always loved I Don't Need Your Love. I always liked the character of Parr. I came out of it after seeing Sydney's performances like, wow, Parr was incredible. Because usually by the time you get to the sixth queen, you're like, okay, we're going to hear about her life. It's going to be a great song and blah, 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 blah. She did such a different performance for me, mm-hmm. Sydney did, that I was like blown away. Because it's very easy to lean into like the jazzy aspects of it and overact I Don't Need Your Love. And Sydney did none of that. She had my attention from the moment she started because her voice was so good. Because Catherine Parr, really, the historical woman, she's like a Tudor girl boss. Yeah. So, like, she was heavily educated. She wrote her own book. She Mm -hmm. was a revolution in the fact of women in England were allowed to say religion because of Catherine Mm -hmm. Parr. She was a Protestant. She was a reformist. So, yeah, she was a phenomenal woman to begin with. Mm -hmm. Some people, from things that I've seen online, kind of lean into the girl boss thing a little too Mm -hmm. much sometimes. What I liked about Sydney's was she was like, yeah, I am a a girl boss, but I'm also kind of, like, over this whole thing right now. So, like, let's just kind of get on with it. Yeah, she's like, I was a girl boss and I did phenomenal things, but I also want to acknowledge that all of us are important in our own ways because Catherine Parr's song really doesn't have a lot to do with Henry VIII till almost the end. Mm -hmm. Catherine Parr was hoping to marry someone she was actually in love with because Catherine Parr was on her third marriage when she got married to Henry VIII. Mm -hmm. He was her third husband. She was hoping to get married to Jane Seymour's brother, actually, Thomas, 
And the king kind of found out and was like, nah, I'm going to marry you and sent Thomas away. And so I Don't Need Your Love is a song where Catherine Parr is writing a letter goodbye to Thomas, basically saying, I can't say no to the king. You've seen what he's done to otherwise. He's beheaded two of them now. I can't say no to him. I just want you to know I love you. But then it kind of turns into, don't you guys realize that we're sitting here arguing about who had the worst time of it when literally we've been lumped in as the six wives of Henry VIII. The only reason people remember us is because of our ex-husband. If there were six other women who were married to him, none of us would be here right now. Mm -hmm. I was the first woman in England to publish a book by myself. I had a woman paint my official portrait as a queen. And none of that matters in the grand scheme of thing because I'm one of six wives. And she points out other things like Catherine of Aragon, like you went pregnant to go fight against the Scots. Anne Boleyn, you were the reason that we have a new church in England now. There are all these phenomenal things that we've done, but no one ever talks about us unless they talk about our husband. It's a monologue basically about how it's patriarchal that and reductionist that we don't talk about these women without mentioning Henry VIII. The queens kind of have this dawning of like, oh, so we could have spent the last like 70 minutes typing each other up. Typing each other up and talking about the accomplishments we made. That sucks. And they do a really funny thing where they kind of just like walk off stage. <laughs> like some of them like nod and like wave at us. And they're like, huh, man, that would have been really awesome. And they're like kicking, kicking their feet. It's so funny. Yeah. Especially because they didn't rush it. I think it was Sidney Parra and I believe it was Taylor Pearlstein standing on stage just twiddling their thumbs and nodding at the band and everything and then they're like oh wait this is our show we can do whatever we want ha 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 then they like, do the remix of i don't need your love where they're like yeah henry we don't need you boy <laughs> do they say it like that Jen? basically <laughs> and also i one thing i like about Catherine parr's costume is that it definitely looks like it is the most comfortable Yes. And I'm not saying that in a bad way. She wears pants. She gets pants. I love it. Yeah, and she's got, like, the peplum on it, like, the Tudor peplum, and hers is a royal blue. I love that color. Same. And it really did compliment Sydney very well. It did. So they do the remix of I Don't Need Your Love with Catherine Parr still leading the band at that point, and so they decide, like, no, we don't really need to decide who had the worst time with Henry because while we all did, we're all important. So was Catherine technically the winner then? I think, I mean, if we're going to go like that, she definitely was, Parr, I should say. Yeah, she definitely was the most convincing. Yeah. Because she definitely got all of them to agree with what she was saying. See, so I'm sitting there like, I, th- I think she won. I think she won. Yeah. They end the show with a song called Six where they are like, okay, this is our show. We can do what we want. Let's rewrite all of our stories. And it's a cute, definitely far-fetched and everything. Like, none of it ever could have actually Catherine happened. Catherine of Aragon would have never gone to a nunnery. She would have gone to war if yes. she would have had to. She would have stayed Queen of England, even if yeah, she, she threw had the Empire the... of Spain behind yeah. her. And the Holy Roman Empire at the time. She would have been the sole Queen of England if she would have. Yeah. But it's cute because Catherine and Anne, they never marry Henry VIII. They go off to have their own thing. Jane gets to have her family. She gets to raise her kid. Anna of Cleves gets to become... Just the German pop sensation. German pop sensation teaching the Germans how to party. Catherine Howard gets to actually live a life. (laughs) Yeah. And Catherine Parr is like, I am just happy knowing that all of them know their worth now. I went out and found them when we laid down an album. So, like, she gets to be, she wants to be friends with them. Yeah, so she's like, I basically taught these girls their worth and now we get to be friends. At the end of the show... I like that they do this. They have what's called the Mega Six, which it's a big mega mix. It's snippets of all of the songs in the show. But they also shout out the band. The band plays live on stage Mm -hmm. at this show. There's four musicians in this show. They play bass, guitar, keys, and drums. They're all named after real ladies in waiting. Yep. 
we'll talk about each of the ladies in waiting that they're named after when we do our extra episode. But I like they do that. Like, they give the band their own shout-out because the band's on stage the whole time, too. The band never takes a break. I want to give a shout-out to the Sixth Sound Apartment because, like, I, I shout-out Taylor Pearlstein mm-hmm. earlier. Sometimes, like, we, you may notice in some of our episodes we complain that sound is an issue. Like, the band was too loud and the band was too quiet. Chef's kiss, perfect. Yes, not too loud, not too soft. You could hear you could hear the vocalists over the band that you can see live on stage. So it is possible other touring productions. Yeah, that's one thing I really wanted to shout out too because that was definitely an issue in other shows we saw this season where it's like the songs are great, like Jesus Christ Superstar specifically. I know you didn't get to see it the mm-hmm. second time. It was an issue again where the people who weren't as powerhouse of characters in the show sometimes got drowned out by the orchestra and they there wasn't a surround sound orchestra at Akron Mm -hmm. right no wow that was one thing I really did appreciate about six yes I will admit that it is a much smaller orchestra than every other show has but it's still possible to have an orchestra playing live on stage directly behind the girls who are singing Mm -hmm. and be able to hear both of them can I give a hot take real quick yes right now after Phantom of the Opera closed Chicago is now the longest-running American musical. It still hasn't surpassed Phantom yet, so I don't know why they put on all their posters. Like, we're the longest-running one, because technically you're still not Phantom. You have you have a certain milestone you have to hit before you can say that. Mm-hmm. I will say, the reason that Chicago does so well on Broadway is because the Ambassador Theater is Sucks. basically... Yeah, it's a triangle, basically. I've never been there, but I've seen lots of stuff, and I've looked at the blueprint of it. It literally is a triangle. So they have basically no backstage area. My hot take, because I know Six is a very popular musical right now, I could see Chicago is really good at stunt casting. They're in the red a lot of the time, though. It's not an expensive show to run either because they basically have no backstage. It's like one thing the entire time. I could see in the future if Chicago were to close on Broadway, I could see Six moving into the Ambassador Theater because it's a very similar setup. Mm -hmm. So there's my hot take right there. For any of our six fans who are like, whoa, like, if they took Broadway Girl says, I don't think it's doing that at all. It's like, it's no. not expensive to run. But yeah, I think six could be a very long running show on Broadway. Mm-hmm. No, I completely agree with that. Because even as a touring production, the set for six, I will say, is spectacular. It's all lights. It's got huge Tudor Baroque style pyres and stuff coming off of it. Basically, if you saw any pictures, either of Beyonce or Taylor Swift's tour stages this year kind of like that like there's screens but there's like all this these intricate things on the front of them yeah um it kind of looks like stained glass window yes. shapes that's very Tudor. with a screen behind it with a screen behind it that's all purple lights that's why there's no purple queen in the show because purple's the color of royalty mm-hmm. all of these women were queens so they all have purple behind them mm-hmm. but that's why there's no purple queen in this yep. show the set is really cool i did like because again we watched bootlegs the original west end run didn't have as much as this one does Mm -hmm. and I like this new set better because it's a lot more lit up it looks a lot more like a pop concert stage and I really did like the addition of having a giant throne come up for Anna of Cleves to get down I love that set was really cool again the band plays on stage the whole time they're on like like platforms platforms behind the queen so you can see them the whole time yeah so that was our trip to six again Really, really enjoyed this show. I don't think it'll be a shock where it ends up on our rankings for anyone when we do our next episode. A lot of things that happen in other shows that we complain about didn't happen with six, Mm -hmm. so there you go. You guys don't have a huge break between seasons two and three, which is nice. You will have this episode, our season rankings episode, and that extra tutor episode to get you through the next few weeks because in less than a month, we start season three on October 10th with The Wiz in Cleveland. 
really cool thing. This is actually a pre-Broadway tryout for The Wiz, so we are going to see the new Broadway cast do The Wiz. Except for Wayne Brady. I know. I'm actually really salty about that. You never know. You never know. I would like to see Wayne Brady, but... We, we do know it said he will not be joining the cast until it goes to New York. I'm like, oh, we're not good enough for you, Wayne. <laughs> Twitter is at Twins on Tour 1 because I refuse to call it X. TikTok is at <laughs> Twins on Tour 1. Instagram, the.twins.on.tour1. I'm Jenny Bradley. I'm Julie Book. And this is the, the Twins, Twins on, on Tour, Tour podcast. podcast. That was so awkward. The blast that lasts. <laughs> There's our blooper. <laughs>